Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Uh, 43 minutes to go ahead of the close. Stocks lower. Let's head right over to the first word breaking news desk for today's afternoon call. Here he is, Bill Maloney. And good afternoon, Charlie. Main U.S. averages have paired their losses but are still down on the day. Dow is currently down 50 points. SB's dropped four. And the NASDAQ declines by 11. At one point, the Dow is down 108 points. The small cap 600 declines five. And the U.S. 10 yield at 2.23%. Eight of the main 11 SB sectors are trading lower, led by losses in energy, industrials, and healthcare. Utilities, consumer staples, and telecom gained. Nazabad techs climbed 13, transports fall 6, semis declined 10, and the VIX is little changed. Leaders to the upside in the Dow are Visa, Nike, and UTX, while General Electric dropped as much as 5.4% and led to the downside. Capital One gained as much as 8.8% after results, while Intuitive Surgical fell as much as 4.5%. After its earnings, live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Charlie? And we thank you very much, Bill Maloney, to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg. Type squawk, S-Q-U-A-W-K, on your terminal. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets on this Friday. Carol Master in our Bloomberg 1130 studio, and this is Bloomberg. news and how it impacts trading. That's something we want to talk about, and that's something uh, that our next guest uh, did some research on. Charlie Kalamiris is with us. He's professor, back with us, I should say, professor of financial institutions at Columbia Business School, uh, and he joins us on the phone in New York City. Great to have you back with us, Professor Kalamiris. Tell us a little bit about this uh, study that you co-authored. It's called How News and its context drive risk and returns around the world. I think it's so timely as we've dealt with a lot of news, certainly uh, out of the nation's capital today. Well, great to be with you, Carol. Um, yes, in this paper, uh, Harry Mameski, my colleague at Columbia Business School, and I looked um, at this uh, the, how word flow, uh, we use Thomson Reuters, sorry to say your competitor. It's okay. As our main <laughs> kill his mic, kill his mic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> About 50 countries over the last 20 years, and we and we looked at, you know, I, I won't go into all the technical details, but let's just say a parsimonious way to capture word flow, which is itself really the challenge, just to see um, whether word flow captures something that's relevant for risk in markets over and above what you get from all the standard modeling that finance professors and traders do of trying to model risk. And what we found, which was really surprising, is that this month's word flow has bigger implications for risks a year from now than it does for next month. That was really surprising for us. And so what we were able to say also was that it's very important contributor to risk, so that in many of the countries, you doubled the explanatory power of your model of risk by including this sort of content of the word flow. And we kind of look at this as a sort of a Jungian unconscious, a kind mm-hmm. of capturing something that's in the ether that people are thinking and feeling that it turns out to be quite relevant for the market, but not immediately with uh, maybe as much as a year's lag and with a, a huge uh, important impact on um, the, the total level of risk. So, so we were really quite quite surprised by it. Did it matter whether it, what kind of word flow it was, whether it was corporate word flow, whether it was political word flow? Uh, did it matter? Yes, it did. 
Yes, it did. So that was one of the things that was novel about our studies. Instead of just looking at the tone of the word flow, uh, which is sometimes called sentiment, we looked at the context of the sentiment and also frequency of, of different topics, as well as some other characteristics. And just as you asked, it turned out that the context was really quite relevant and that, in fact, positive sentiment in some topical contexts was a negative for risk, while positive sentiment was a positive for risk in other topical contexts. And this was also specific to the timing. So pre-crisis and post-crisis were quite different in this respect. So you can kind of see how that would work, where maybe um, an article about government prior to the crisis is very different from an article mainly about government policy after the crisis, and they could have opposite effects. We found that they did. So um, it, it's, uh, it, we haven't solved all the questions about what it all means, but what we have found, answering your question, is topical context really matters a lot for understanding the content of word flow for market risk. I also find it fascinating, um, Charlie, that we spend an awful lot of time saying, oh, my God, look at this news and the changes and what seems to be, to some extent, turmoil. It feels like sometimes on the political front, whether it's in trying to get through a legislation or changes in the administration or what have you, and yet certainly the equity markets continue to grind higher. We continue to see kind of a very easy rate environment that investors seem to shrug all this off. And I am curious Based on what you just said that, I don't know, six months from now, eight months from now, might everybody say, whoa, you know, and that things start to have a bigger impact, certainly when it comes to investment decisions. And we, we think that that is, uh, you know, quite possible, what you're saying. Unfortunately, we haven't been collecting data to be projecting things for the future. Our study ends in 2015. Mm-hmm. But we are going to probably be creating some kind of product which will have open to the market, to, to the public, which will try to, on an ongoing basis, kind of keep, keep track of these things and what their longer-term implications are. Because we think that, um, you know, certainly markets just like this, where you're seeing just the factors you're describing, very low interest rates. Um, you know, we, I was reading a story today saying a lot of short sellers had basically given up trying to short this market. But, you know, when that's happening, something in my bones tells me that we're, we may be in for it uh, a few months down the road. And that's what's, I guess, kind of – I'm trying to think about the takeaway for our listeners here. Is is that what they they kind of <laughs> need to maybe be a little cautious maybe down the road here, that, that all of this may, you know, have a bigger impact? Well, I can't say based on our uh, word flow analysis because I haven't taken it to this current period – but um, stay tuned because we will soon have something to say about that. But I think my general sort of view is that this is going to really help us um, quantify unbelievably these kinds of market sentiment waves that you were talking about. And I'm, I'm quite confident that we're going to have something to say about that. What about backtesting, though? Have you done any in terms of trying to predict the accur- accuracy? Just got about 20 yeah. seconds here. Yeah, so uh, in 20 seconds, instead of just doing in-sample, we did out-of-sample using out-of-sample out uh, root mean squared error forecast. We found that it was a very robust and useful exercise for forecasting out-of-sample. Well, fascinated uh, and looking forward to hearing more. And, and uh, you said that this is going to be some kind of vehicle that you'll be bringing uh, to investors. Charlie, thank you so much. Professor Charles Calamiras, professor of financial institutions at Columbia Business School, joining us on the phone right here in New York City. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio.